0: Local Edge, powered by Ad Canada
1: Media. Hi everybody, and welcome to The Local Edge, your show for better understanding and connecting with small communities all across Canada. Here, we explore the value of these markets to advertisers, agencies, communities, and more. We bring you the latest news, insights, and trends from the world of local advertising and marketing. I am your host, Shauna Randolph. And on today's show, we're going to be talking to someone who really understands the topic of marketing to farmers. There is a disconnect, plus there are so many challenges. We'll get into all of this in just a minute. So, whether you're an advertiser, agency, community member, or just interested in the world of local advertising, join us for Local Edge. This is our closer look at the power of small communities in Canada.
0: While ebooks have taken a little chunk out of the market, Canadian readers paid higher sums for printed books, with the average person spending between $100 and $149, while avid readers spend over $300. For targeted data like this, and to get a better understanding of connecting with local markets, please visit adcanadamedia.ca.
1: And joining us on today's episode is Sherilyn Jolly-Nagel. Now, Sherilyn is a farmer, speaker, director, and advocate for global agriculture policy initiatives, and she is also considered one of Canada's top 50 most influential people in agriculture. And she joins us today from Saskatchewan. Very nice to have you here, Sherilyn.
0: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's talk about where exactly you are to really paint the picture for our our viewers here today. What part? What part?
0: Oh, I love to talk about my hometown. Uh, it's the name is Mossbank, we're forty-five miles southwest of Moose Jaw, so very south central Saskatchewan. Just a couple of hours from the U.S. border. There's some rolling plains. There's some flat land. We we kind of have it all, and it looks we're all finished harvest. So it looks a. Uh, a little desolate at the moment, but in the middle of the canola growing season, it's really very beautiful.
1: Okay, so let's talk about what you specialize with your your farming and a little bit about yourself and why does the farm life appeal to you?
0: Oh, well, okay. Well, we grow, so I'm farming right now with my husband and family, and we are raising two teenagers. And they are both, you know, gunslinging, tractor-driving, you know, dirt bike riding girls, and they they love to be here on the farm and drive tractors and, and learn all about life on the farm. They, they really don't know any different, but they would tell you that they've enjoyed living here on the farm and farming with us. On our farm, we grow pulse crops, which are typically lentils or chickpeas or both. We'll grow a cereal crop, and that has been durum for the most part, but sometimes there's barley in the mix for those beer drinkers out there. And an oilseed, so that will typically be canola, although in the past, many moons ago, we've grown a uh, flax and mustard seed, which listeners might be familiar with. Sure. And, you know, I, I suppose I do have a very strong appreciation for life on the farm now, but I didn't always, so my, my gratitude level is much higher now than it ever was before. I did grow up on a farm, uh, very close to where I'm living now, but I was... You know, a typical teenage girl, I suppose, and thought grass was greener everywhere else but my hometown. So I'm, I'm now a very grateful uh, farmer and and thrilled to be living here. So, Sherilyn,
1: then, what are some of the things that you value most about being a farmer? Why does it matter?
0: Yeah, you know, I think values are intrinsic to rural people and and to those of us living on the farm. They've been passed passed down through generations. Um, I think some of the strongest values we, we uphold would be, you know, a work ethic. I think farm kids are known around the world for a strong work ethic. They have to get up pretty early in the morning and go to bed late at night, and they've got always got chores. So as a parent, I'm quite thrilled to have uh, to be raising kids on the farm and have that work ethic as a strong value of ours. Of course, there's always the value of money uh, that's always prevalent when you live on a farm. And, uh, you know, I suppose working with family, teamwork and family is, is a very strong value system that we have out here. And that's always been prevalent.
1: Sherilyn, you are known for telling people that the agriculture industry is one of, if not the most advanced industry in the world. And you have made it your mission to let people know that. So, Let's talk about why. Why is that so important to you?
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's, I've noticed a very strong disconnect between the agriculture industry that we have today. Um, And, and I can attribute that to a lot of things. Most of the population is unfamiliar with what's happening on the farms today. You and I talked before the interview about connections to agriculture and here in Canada, less than 2% of the part of the population is farming today. So, We've got a growing public that is disconnected from agriculture, but at the same time, they're very interested in their food and how their food is grown. So they typically, because they're so removed from the family farm, in fact, the statistic in Canada is that most Canadians are two generations removed from the family farm. So they don't have those aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins, brothers and sisters that are on the farm where they can ask those great questions about how their food is grown. So they look to the internet like most of us do when we're garnering information. And unfortunately, a lot of the information that you'll find on the internet isn't, isn't accurate. It hasn't kept up to that technological advancement that you referred to. I think most, most people in the public without that deep connection to agriculture are still viewing us you know, from that old McDonald's old childhood book that we all used to read. And they think of farmers as, you know, old men with coveralls and a pitchfork. And those are some of the myths that I like to bust open as it relates to sharing these stories to the public. Cause because as you said, I really believe that this is one of the most technologically advanced industries on the globe, but we're not seen that way. Okay, so let's talk about that. I
1: really want to dive into these myths. How has farming changed even in the time that you've been involved?
0: Oh, yes, it, it certainly has changed substantially. I would say there's just sheer physicality of agriculture that has changed. There's a, an awful lot of mechanization that has taken away from some of that, you know, truly laborious work that farmers have had to do in the past. Not that we don't come in from the field really exhausted at the end of the day, but uh, a lot of that uh, high labor a piece of the puzzle has been has been advanced through mechanization and, and tractors. The the technology piece that I referred to, you know, some of the technologies that, that your viewers would be very familiar with would be GPS. And, and I know that most people use GPS in their vehicle to find the nearest coffee shop or the nearest you know, restaurant or mall, but farmers have been using GPS for decades, and it has truly been one of the best advancements that we have and in terms of sustainability which everybody is quite concerned about in agriculture today gps allows us to be you know so much more sustainable than we ever were before it reduces our fuel consumption in the field you know there's just a, a long host of great benefits that we've seen from from a simple use like gps which a lot of people wouldn't assume that that farmers are using today let's talk about another
1: myth a lot of people not familiar with your lifestyle think that you're all in your own different areas doing your own thing that you don't really connect uh, amongst each other your neighbors that sort of thing is is that the case though or is that a big myth
0: oh uh, you know what it it can be quite isolating at times there's definitely certain times of the year where we do feel very isolated you know during during the growing season, so seeding, for example, in the spring, we spend you know countless hours in a tractor cab, and that, that's the same as spraying and harvest time. So we can actually be really quite isolated. There's times where I will wave to a neighbor on the road and consider that a visit because we just won't see each other for weeks on end. I guess the comforting part of that is that you know, we know that our other farming colleagues and peers are in the same situation. We are all pushing really hard to get the seed in the ground, to take care of it through the growing season, to harvest it in the fall. So we have a, a deep understanding that everybody is busy during those times of the year, but there's some great connection that happens you know, throughout the year. I, I would argue that even though there's a lot more people in the city, you know, you can stand in line at a bank or at a coffee shop in the city and be surrounded by dozens of people and not have any conversation whatsoever. Whereas in, in the middle of our really busy season, I can run to town and have a great conversation with somebody at the post office or at the equipment dealer picking up a part and walk away having learned about the, the health and the happiness of their family. So we, ha- we can have some really great connections that happen in a short amount of time. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a myth that we're isolated. You know the the social distancing component of COVID. I mean that's that is how we live in most cases. But when we get together, we have a, a great time and it's usually in a more intimate setting. So versus you're meeting at a, a restaurant or a nightclub, it's usually at our kitchen or at our shop.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Okay, now I want to talk about some myths around marketing to farmers. What makes a farmer different from other types of audiences that advertisers want to reach? Are our farmers different in that aspect?
0: Well, I would suggest that farmers are consumers like most other audiences that you're trying to reach. But again, if a marketer or, or a company isn't fully understanding the lifestyle that a farmer Leads, they might be missing the mark as it relates to their marketing campaign. So there's several other myths that we didn't that we didn't really talk about. One about corporate farms. You know, there there are corporate farms that are moving into the industry, but the vast majority of farms in Canada, in fact, 97% of the farms in Canada are still family owned and operated. And that's not to say that that we aren't business people. So most of these farms that are existing today that less than 2% of us that are farming are dealing with multi-million-dollar farm operations. And that has advanced substantially over just the last couple of years. So several, several mistakes that I see on a fairly regular basis, and I use mistakes loosely, but uh, it's just an interest of mine that companies would spend that much time, energy, resources, and money trying to market to farmers without really ensuring uh, that they're hitting the mark. So something that I see on a pretty regular basis is the assumption that farmers need help. So oftentimes the messaging that we see in these marketing campaigns are that we need to help the farmers. There's never and my this is my advice today to, to many companies is to recognize that farmers are experts at what they do what's not there can be a condescending tone around always needing to help the farmer versus ensuring that people know that farmers are experts at what they do and you can be partners in agriculture versus trying to help us. Another mistake, this might just be a, a you know a superficial mistake that I see often. but whenever farmers are portrayed in marketing campaigns, they are always wearing something either denim, or carhartt overalls and they're always clean. And so no farmer buys that this is a legitimate farmer in a campaign when they are wearing clean clothes. Sometimes they'll even try to go so far as to put a straw in their mouth. And I think come on. This is the myth that we're trying to bust is that we are not old McDonald anymore. We're very advanced uh, and we're you know we're just trying to bust out some of those you know kind of funny myths. I have a couple of other things that I suggest to to marketing companies while they're marketing to farmers, and that is to always continue to raise your own level of knowledge around the industry. This is a really fast-paced industry, and where I would argue farmers have always been adopters of incredible innovation and technology. It's moving really fast, so what you thought you knew about agriculture before you may not know today. So always ask and reach out to farmers. Ask them, Just ask them.
1: I know you've had some experiences, and I just wanted you to share one in particular. I know about this, but please elaborate. The time, or probably a few times you've had this happen, where you get a notice for uh, something that's going to um, be delivered, a package, right? And you get the, the Canada Post notice, and then it's not very easy for you to go and get that parcel, is it?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let me address this. There's So there's two issues here. There's the medium that companies are using to market to farmers. And then there's the impression that they're leaving us. So the medium is is the story that I would share with you. This is what it takes, the logistic piece of what it takes for a farmer, for you to uh, market to a farmer. When you send something to us in the mail, it might seem very simple. (laughs) I live 30 kilometers from a post office box. No, no UPS, no FedEx, no, no Amazon drone will ever deliver something to my doorstep. So when I go when I get to town to pick up the mail, it's rarely during Canada Post business hours. So I get a, a little post uh, I get a little postcard in my mailbox that says I have a package. and woo, you know, I, I hope it's a card from my grandma or I hope it is, you know some lovely package that I've got from a, a friend in the states. So then I have to drive 30 kilometers back home and make a point of going back into town during regular business hours. So another 30 kilometers back into town. Now I meet with the post office box lady to say, oh, I have a package here and we have a good visit about the goings on of our family. And she gives me a box. I walk away with this box and inside the box, it's usually a massive bo- you know, cardboard box. And inside there's all kinds of plastic and you know, bubble wrap that my kids used to love to play with, but they're teenagers now. So that's wasted. And then inside all of this, It will be some ridiculous tchotchke with a logo on it. It'll be a branded something, a plastic rain gauge that's going to break. It'll be a hat that I'm never going to wear. It's going to be a go mug, something ridiculous with a little note on it from the company that's saying they're, they're grateful for our business. And I think that just the fuel alone and the time it took me to go and get that, I would rather you not send it to me. Plus, we look at the postage that it took you to send that package to us, and we think this is an incredible waste of money. And farmers are often taking pictures of this stuff and sharing it with each other. Like, can you believe they sent us this in the mail? So it's become like an inside joke to see who can get the most ridiculous tchotchke in the mail. <laughs> and Absolutely no business is done. No loyalty has been created based on these tchotchkes that get sent us in the mail.
1: Is it even insulting to you?
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay, I do get a little bit heated or passionate about some of these things. Uh, One in particular was incredibly condescending. And so I did track down the company to let them know that this was kind of unacceptable in my opinion. Um, You know, it's that constant condescending nature of some of the marketing campaigns where let us help you or, you know, they they forget that it we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars at times with certain companies. And so, you know, putting my name in a draw to win, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a little cooler package or something. It's just it's not hitting the mark. It doesn't make me feel like you really appreciate or value our business. There's so much better ways to connect with farmers than sending us, you know, crap in the mail. Okay, so then let's talk about maybe online
1: advertising and that. And I know with your, your specialty and you do a lot of speaking and that sort of thing and you give a lot of advice and then there's those trends, those kind of fashionable urban trends for advertising. Um, how do you get around that so that people can hear what you're saying instead of being wrapped up in what is the latest thing?
0: You know, I'm not going to suggest that that marketing to farmers is easy. Uh, So even actually a couple of years ago, I teamed up with some colleagues of mine to create a program. It's an online training program. It's a one hour training program titled, So Your Client is a Farmer. (laughs) And it was meant to kind of address some of these obvious mistakes that companies were making when trying to do business with farmers. So I certainly, if I had to build a training program, I would certainly appreciate that we can be an intimidating group. You know, it's not easy to get to us or find us. I often joke that when your GPS says rerouting, that that's exactly where I live. We're like usually just west of rerouting. So I understand we're not easy to get to, but there are some way, some better ways that marketing companies can can reach us. Okay. How? how is is the best way especially when you have that
1: challenge of of connectivity with with the internet in your world so you know we've talked many times on the show about um how it can be very difficult to reach people in in rural areas
0: yes okay so i would say there's some older older mediums that are highly effective so as an example when land comes up for sale And these land purchases are incredibly expensive purchase. These are large purchases. We still look to a local newspaper to find those advertising versus, you know, a Kijiji. Lots of farmers are on Kijiji and looking for for, um, buy and sell programs that way. So that's still an effective way to reach us. But we still listen to the radio. We still listen to we still pick up newspapers, especially that that is local. I would say maybe one of the things that I learned through COVID was that we can't care about everything. And so there's more of an emphasis right now in the farming community for that local news, the local interest, local land for sale, local farm auctions. So using those, you know, perhaps older methods of advertising are still very effective as it relates to agriculture.
1: How much do you hear from other people that you live near other farmers? How much they really still depend on that local newspaper to pick up or listening on the radio as compared to just scrolling and looking at, let's say, a Facebook ad. How much is that important to them still? And
0: you? It's imperative. It's, it's imperative for, for us to connect. And, you know, I actually did, I, I was listening to a couple of the Local Edge podcasts to kind of prepare and, and learn a little more about your podcast and, and the material that you're covering. And one thing that really struck me was in the interview with the editor from Musamin. And he said, specifically in part as, as an editor of a local newspaper, that one of the benefits of his papers, he has the, the, the ability to print an interview verbatim rather than cut bits and pieces and edit it down to practically nothing. And as a reader of newspapers, I really appreciated that. I liked the concept that a local newspaper is going to give me the whole story versus something that's been cut down and not allowing me to, sh- to have all of that information. I'm, a cons- I'm, a, I'm probably more a consumer of news than the general farmer, but I'm always seeking out opportunities to hear and learn more about What's happening in the agriculture industry, and you know, real egg radio, for example, that would be my go-to source of information as it's related to the industry, and that's very local.
1: I'm so impressed that you actually <laughs> took the extra time in preparation. Although, why am I surprised? I know you're very thorough. Um, and then that episode you were mentioning, it was Kevin Weidmark in, in Musiman. Yeah, he had some great feedback, and then just kind of dispelling those myths that um you need to to do this online kind of way to to uh, attract people and advertise there. Um okay, I want to talk a little bit now about this trend. So we've we've talked a lot on our show about research showing the transition to online media consumption is happening faster in metropolitan areas than it is in rural communities. Um do you find that to be the case?
0: Well, that might just be sheer necessity. So we haven't really talked yet about actual connectivity. So we are still at a disadvantage related to both cell phone coverage as well as Internet connectivity. So where I've already talked about, you know, such a technologically and scientifically advanced industry we have and all this incredible innovation that's coming at us, the holdback Will, would be broadband and our lack of the ability to house information and collect data uh, efficiently and reliably so that is as is a whole you know uh, side piece of what I'm trying of what we're trying to do in in that lobby effort to ensure that the government recognizes the essential nature of agriculture again through the pandemic agriculture was cited as a essential service. And yet most of us living, you know, not even just rurally, because I would say that we've come a long way, giving rural communities better connectivity, but I don't even live rurally. Again, I live 30 kilometers from a small town. So it's it's even one step farther than rural. So the holdback back for us to consume more advertising online will be that we simply can't get it some days. I joke that you know everybody out there is watching Game of Thrones, and that is a commitment that I just can't possibly make because there's no way I would get through a full episode.
1: So how does this affect modern life in the farm? Uh, also the business of farming with that challenge?
0: It absolutely affects the business. Now, listen, as a sidebar, I have two teenagers living in this house, so when the internet go down goes down, I'm not that sad. It just means that the kids may not have you know access to their for a couple of hours. A little less cell service is not a bad thing when you're a mom. However, when you're trying to operate a business, when you're trying to connect with your own business partners, or I'm trying to have meetings and Zoom calls so so that I'm not driving hundreds of kilometers to get to meetings anymore, that's where it really poses a challenge. And I would say frustrating doesn't begin to describe it. Uh, There's actual areas on our farm that that are dead zones, where we don't have cell phone coverage at all in certain fields, which also uh, suggests a safety concern when we have you know, kids and employees out there without access to cell phone service. And, and the two of them are very much connected because uh, you know as we tried to log on for this Zoom call this morning, my Wi-Fi wasn't working. There's just too much wind outside to work. So I'm running it off my cell phone. So we're spending an enormous amount of money trying to discover new ways to have better connections. Certainly, the introduction of Starlink is helping a lot of rural communities. Many of my colleagues have accessed that and and have noticed a big difference. I'm still still trying to support locally and using the services that are available to me now. But it may come to a point where we have to outgrow that as well.
1: And so we've talked as well on this show about federal government initiatives. They've realized that they've made it very clear that this is an issue. Uh, But there's been a lot of talk about it's just taking so long. So what more do you want to see?
0: Probably something really soon. Yeah, I'm not patient. I was not born with a patient gene. So (laughs) I've been waiting too long already to see better cell phone coverage and better Internet connectivity. So it's never going to be fast enough for me. I'll, I'll admit that. But it's going to take infrastructure investment from governments for us to be able to to really check this off the box. Again, we can Canadian farmers are substantially contributing to the economy to the to the GDP. So we need to have some investment from government that is and from the public that is that is supported by that. And I think it's certainly I wouldn't suggest that farmers aren't also willing to contribute. We will pay for good service. But we're just not getting it.
1: Sherilyn, bottom line, what do you want people watching this today to take from you? You have (laughs) so much wealth of knowledge. We understand your life as a farmer, your challenges with with, uh, being misunderstood, challenges with connectivity. What is your underlying message for everyone?
0: Farmers are fantastic people. And even though we are difficult to reach at times because of our location, because of the logistics of it, we do want to be asked if marketed to, I think one of, the, one of the, the things we're missing in marketing is actually asking farmers what they need. I get on a very regular basis calls from companies that have come up with the new and latest thing that will solve all of the problems for farmers. And most of the time it, it doesn't hit the mark. So there's a lack of connection because there's very few farmers today. So there's a lack of connection between farmers and the general public. And we're doing our best to communicate. Uh, Communication has not been part of the curriculum for farmers all of these generations before me. So we're learning to communicate better about what we do in agriculture and how to reach us. But for the most part, we're making ourselves more available and we would like to be asked and we, we enjoy, you know, having strong business relationships and, and, uh, yeah. One more question,
1: Sherilyn, what are the two jars on the desk behind you? Is that something that you've, you've
0: produced? <laughs> now listen, I do have a bit of a marketing background, so I know me some product placement. So it's lovely for me to ask about these things around me. Okay. yes yeah, These are, this are actually friends of ours. This is a local product. These are canned pickled chickpeas. This is a, a garlic and there's a jalapeno behind me. Riverstone, they're they are proudly grown right here in Saskatchewan. And I think they're the funnest thing to have on a charcuterie board. So uh, Riverstone chickpeas, you can look those up. You can find them in co-ops and various stores. And then also there's some great books uh, by some farm authors behind me too. Billy J. Miller, he wrote two books, Farm Wives and uh, farm kids, and they're just fantastic stories about life on the farm. (laughs) Thanks for noticing my product
1: placement. There's marketing for you, everybody watching. (laughs) Sherilyn, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us here on our show.
0: Well, thank you for your interest in agriculture and for marketing to us. We are a fantastic consumer, and so the better we can reach out to other farmers, the better it will be. Indeed. Sherilyn
1: Jolly-Nagel is a farmer speaker, director, and advocate for global agricultural policy initiatives, joining us here today.
0: The average Canadian household spends $285 on clothes per month. Perhaps this explains why the clothing resale market has been growing 11 times faster than traditional retail. For more data like this and a better understanding of connecting with local markets, please visit adcanadamedia.ca.
1: Thank you everyone so much for spending time with us here on Local Edge. My name is Shauna Randolph, very pleased to be your host. For more information and extended interviews, be sure to subscribe to the Local Edge podcast on any of the major platforms like Spotify, Apple, Google, and of course much more. Also, don't forget to check out our website, at CanadaMedia.ca. Thank you for joining us here on Local Edge. We'll see you next time.
0: This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.